Gary McGear here from the Geek Pride cast on this Monday evening. With me, as always, we have my co-host, Peter Allison. Good evening, everyone. And our special guests this evening, Ian and Paul from Antipoet. <laughs> the Antipoet. The Antipoet. You still didn't get it. Okay. The Antipoet. Okay. Good evening, All right. everyone. Good evening. The, right. So, gentlemen, who are you? What do you do? The Antipoet. What is it? Well, uh, we're, we're maestros of beat ranting, rhythm, and views. Yeah. As in, it's a poet that stands at the front of the stage, and to, in order to stop it from being really dull and boring, there's a fellow who stands beside him plucking a double bass. All right, okay. That's pretty much it, really. That is, that is the entirety of the act. Uh <laughs> Yeah. Can you add anything to that? Well, there's there's a little bit of kind of, you know, there's building on stuff, isn't there? And I, and I build build into it and then you take it away. You generally insult me. We wear hats as well. That's an, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah you were yeah. wearing a, a pretty amazing steampunk-esque aesthetic when you, uh, before you came on. You'd taken it off. I thought it, it... Yeah, the laptop's sitting on it now. <laughs> right, okay. We're trying to raise our eye level a bit. <laughs> right, you see. <laughs> it hasn't worked. It's still exactly the same as it was. Useful hats. No, 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 it's fine, you're fine. <laughs> he looks like he's got hair, doesn't he? <laughs> where where did the antipoke come from? What was the foundation for it? Ah, oh, the foundation for that. Um, stabbing pub, mate. It was, yeah, it was playing at the stabbing pub. We... we we met at a place where well, it wasn't actually called the Stabbing Pub. It was the Flint Cottage in High Wycombe in about 2007, wasn't it? 2007, yeah, 2008. Yeah. Uh, and we, we just, we don't look that hard. So um, <laughs> and this place was, was known for its, for its stabbings. Um, and we just trying to make the act, which was really just a poetry act with a bit of bass behind it, look a bit harder. So yeah. we called it the Anti-Poet. Yeah, and so, it uh, and it stuck. Yeah. yeah. So it started off as an open mic. It's an open mic night uh, where I would sort of get up and say to anybody, "Do you want some bass on that?" Because uh, it was that's the thing I do. Um, and Paul came along with his poetry, which he's used to reading there, and be, mainly because the person who organised. Oh, she hates night, poets. She hated poetry. Yeah. So Paul would every week insist on coming on doing poetry. Um, <clears throat> And then one week, Paul um, sent me a text message, actually, sent me a text message with a poem and said, can you give us give us a baseline for that? So it wasn't even read. It was just the words on the text message. So I came next week after making up a baseline for it, gave it to three other guys who were on stage and we just jammed it. And that was the first time the anti-poet. Uh, it wasn't anti poet because it was other people on stage as well, but that's the first time we performed together. And then Paul thought, oh, we could do something on this. It's a little bit different. Uh, yeah, well, it kind of worked. The thing was, I was out there doing doing poetry, and uh, and, I, and I write quite a lot of the stuff. Uh, too much, really. And if you're writing a lot of poetry all in one go, it, it tends to end up having the same sort of meter, the same sort of rhythm, and the same sort of rhyming structure. And then it gets a bit dull for the, well, it gets duller for the audience than poetry generally is. And I thought, if we can put a bit of uh, different rhythms behind that. So if I get somebody who can do perhaps in a different time signature, uh, in a slightly different register, 
then it's going to make my poetry more interesting. You know, I couldn't possibly have just sat down and written stuff that was more interesting. But I thought, no, stick to your guns, Paul. <laughs> do the same old shit you normally do, but get somebody to put some rhythm behind it. So that's really where it started. And and really, the intention of the act in the first place was just to piss off one single person. And that was, um, what, 14, 15 years ago. <laughs> and we, we're still... Probably still pissing her off, actually. We found a lot more people to do it to in the meantime. Well, my first question is, did it work? Did it piss them off? Oh, God, yeah, every week. <laughs> <laughs> so we started is. there. Uh, we started there doing it in that pub. And, and poetry in uh, an open mic in a pub that is mainly for musicians is, is, is a bit of a lost cause. Uh, in some ways, it can it can break the evening up and make make something else happen that w- people aren't expecting. But it, it really is not the ideal home for it. So once we discovered that what we were doing actually worked, and it d- it does work, doesn't it? It does, it does work. It, it once it was going, we decided to take it further. Now, unfortunately, what we were doing didn't fit anywhere. We uh, if we went to to try and do the poetry circuit and gig with the other poets. The, uh, the proper poets, as it were, uh, they would say to us, no, 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 you can't do that here because what you're doing is technically not poetry, it's music. Go and try and play at a music gig. So we'd go and ask the music venue, could you put us on? They say, no, no, because what you're doing is technically comedy. Why don't you go and try a comedy club? So we did. We tried a comedy club and they said, ah, but what you're doing is poetry, mate. So you've fallen, not... down the crack, you've fallen down the cracks of... So uh... we, were, we were just stuck. What do we do? So what we decided to do, we decided we can't be the only artists out there who are having this kind of a problem. There's got to be other people who don't fit into mainstream entertainment but are doing something that um, at least they themselves think is quite amusing and quite entertaining. Let's see if we can find some, band it together, and then we'll put on a showcase gig and show people that we're, we're not all um, rubbish. And it gives us a regular gig. It gives us a regular gig. So that's what we did. We set up. We decided if we can find maybe four, perhaps five other acts that are doing something in a similar vein uh, and perhaps put that on maybe four times a year. That was the plan, if you mm-hmm. remember. Um, four times a year? Yeah, so we booked. Oh, yeah. We actually booked the Poetry Cafe in yeah, Betterton yeah, yeah. Street in London yeah. four times for that year. That was 2009. Yeah. By the end of that year, we'd got 300 acts on our books. Wow. And we were doing it, um, crikey, what, two, three times a week. Wow. And that ran for, that was a, an, organized, an organization we put together called Rants, the two of us and our manager, Donna, together. And that ran, what did we do that for seven, eight years like that until it drove us completely <clears throat> batty? But the original acts that we got together, plus loads more people as well, uh, had used that as a springboard and we were able to invite people along say that this is what these weirdos do book them for something else and so many did and even mm. uh just one off the top of my head athena has had mm. her own radio four show wow. since and appears on mock the week and stuff like she that she was on um, news quiz was she this yeah, week yeah, i missed yeah, that yeah, yeah. um but like yeah she, she wasn't the only one there were there mm. are lots of those acts that we booked in those days have gone on to do other things mm. and uh Left us behind. So that was the genesis of it. That's, <clears throat> that's how we started. But it did. It worked for us as well because we've then gone out and done um, 
a lot of gigs that we would never have done before. Uh, and now we're we're no longer shackled to trying to find a poetry venue that will have us because we do poetry gigs, comedy gigs, music gigs, cabaret gigs, um, weddings. Funerals. Yeah, yeah, we've done a few funerals. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. No, no, and the other thing uh, about us is all these stories are absolutely true. Are they? Yes, yeah, they, yeah, are. they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, you told me they were. <laughs> well, um, I mean, now at the stage you're at, are you invited to poetry gigs? I mean, what's been the changeover? Uh, we do. I. We haven't done a proper poetry gig for quite some mm. time. Well, no, we did get invited to one this year. Did we? What was that? Yeah, Glastonbury. Oh, Glastonbury, yeah. Wow. That's, a proper that's, a, that's, a, yeah. that's a big thing, isn't it, really? We, we, <laughs> and we turned it down. <laughs> you turned down Glastonbury? We turned it down because we've done Glastonbury Poetry Stage six times on the bounce. Right. And Apart from the COVID years and the fallow year, but if you exclude those, it was consecutive. Yeah, <clears throat> we did, and... And it's a, it's a good gig to do. It's um it's just we felt we'd done what we needed to do there, and hundreds and hundreds of people from all over the world, um, poets apply to the poetry stage at Glastonbury every year, and uh, it's a bit unfair if one person stays there all the time and and just does the same old stuff. I mean, we're the warm up act. Yep. So <clears throat> we we did kind of excuse me, <clears throat> we did kind of make. A, a place for ourselves. We did the, the 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 two repeats. So they book you and they'll get you back a second year, uh, and then they then they're kind of reluctant to book you again, which is fair. Um, yeah, and that's up, how it gives, should be. Gives other people a go. Um, but we kind of created this position of for ourselves of being the warm up back. So we would go on half an hour before the stage opened. You can imagine at twelve at twelve o'clock on a on any morning at Glastonbury, a poetry tent is not the most full and thronging <laughs> environment that you're going to find. It might have a few people that are still asleep from the night before, but um, yeah, it was, our, it was our job to go in and wake everybody up, get people into the tent, and we did. We, we created some really leery pieces. We're very um, loud, you see, because of the double bass. Uh, we're loud yeah, we and, uh, yeah, yeah. and we can be quite offensive, and that, that does yeah. tend to bring people... People in thinking, oh, what's this then? What's going on here? Yeah, trombone kazoo and my trombone kazoo. Yeah, 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 that brought me in. So yeah, we we that was the only poetry gig we've been offered this year. And the the reason being, um, what we've found over time is that uh, it's nice to jump genres and jump tracks. So when we first started getting offered comedy gigs, we did a lot of that for a bit to try and get that under our belt. in the last couple of years, we've been offered uh, steampunk and sci-fi convention stuff, which mm. is not something we'd ever done before, but it was something we thought, happy, great to do. Let's see if we can do that. So that involves uh, changing the set a little bit, writing some new pieces to fit in with, with that kind of thing. Um, some it's, it's people used great. to say that we were, oh, you know, book them, them, them anti-poets. That we'll have them, um, you know, the steampunky blokes. And we thought, we don't know what the hell that is. What's that all about? <laughs> we honestly didn't know. Um, and so we looked it up and we thought, actually, that looks good. I fancy mm-hmm. that, fancy a bit. And we already had the hats, you know. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> so we, we just shifted over. And the great thing, really, about shifting genres like that is that if we'd have done Glastonbury this year, rather than going and doing um, Lincoln, 
yeah. Lincoln Steampunk. Oh, yeah. At Glastonbury, we'd have only have sold our newest CD and the newest book because they've all got them from last year. Whereas by doing one we hadn't done, suddenly we've got eight CDs to sell yeah. <laughs> and several books. So it, it's, it, I mean, you, we got to think about those sort of things because... Yeah. You could say in a less mercenary way, it was a whole new... A uh, group of people that. Oh, yeah, let's heard, say that. Yeah, yeah we'll say that. Heard us before, <laughs> and, you know, it, was, it was enabling us to, to touch a lot more people with what we do. Don't, you can't touch people anymore. Oh, no, you can't do How many poets like, in, involve music in their performance? I've never seen it before. A lot more since we started. Put it that way. <laughs> no. Uh, there aren't many. There are there are some. I mean, it's 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 not a new thing. Um, no. You can go back to the fifties and the sixties. The beat yeah. poets, the beat poet generation. You would often have a, a sax player playing, mm. or you'd have some really irritating person on the side of the stage playing some bongos. Um, that sort of thing, just to give something some rhythm mm. or, or piano. I've seen um, what's his face, um, uh, Tim Minchin, mm. doing poetry with a piano behind it. Yeah, you yeah. Know? And it's great. Adds another dimension to it. But there weren't a lot doing it before we did it um, because we looked to see. We didn't want to start jumping around doing something that somebody else is already doing better. So we had a look around and nobody was doing what we were doing then. Yeah, there was that one we saw at the first class and we did. What was he doing? Was that lady? Lady. Uh, what was her name? We went and see. I can't remember. She was in one of the Pop 90 type things. Anyway, so there were a few out there doing it. Yeah. Uh, but but not in the same way as we did. Not cut right back to being a poet and a double bass, and that being all you get. There were more orchestrations and that sort of thing going off, or full bands with um, you know like yeah, just just speaking the lyrics over the top. But it's 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 what we do is not just the poetry and the music that goes with it, they, they form something much more when we put them together. And it is an act, and we've spent quite a long time in making ourselves into this kind of mythical end-of-the-pier act that you'd kind of find at the end of South End Pier under a little sort of um, <laughs> awning or something, you know. You could argue that certain acts uh, that we've probably always assumed were it's a band, they've had a hit record, was technically beat poetry. Ian Jury, for a start, mm, he didn't yeah. tend to sing yeah. most of his stuff. Um, things like Hit Me With Your Rhythm Stick um, and stuff like that, it's beat mm. poetry. Some of the stuff the Stranglers are doing with um, Peaches, it's beat poetry. There's mm. loads of things. If you look back and listen to it now in retrospect, you think, actually, they're not singing that, they're speaking it, there's just some rhythm behind it. And I think it's a lot more prevalent than people would think it is. Because there's just the two of us, it's, it's blindingly obvious what we're doing. But if you've got a full band, like the Blockheads was a great mm. big band, very well um, orchestrated together. Absolutely. Um, and there's a guy at the front who's technically a poet talking over it. And, and it did a wonderful, mm. wonderful job. There's one of the things that, that brings us together, because we're both fans of Enduring the Blockheads. We, we, we've yeah. got very... Uh, very little else in common. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've still got most of my hair. Oh, oh <laughs> what a burn. Wow. Do you want some water for that? Wow. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's just sort of disappearing from here and coming out of here. Instead. <laughs> the ultimate comb over, mate, is what that is. That, is. that being said, I, I, I have to appreciate the, the beard. and lo- I used to have... 
I used to have really long hair and a beard that was tied in a plot back in the day as well. So uh, well, I, I, I I'm, before. yeah, yeah I've, I've told you that impresses me. Though I could never see my beard is I could never get like I've always wanted this big ass pirate beard. I've always wanted this man, but it gets a bit wispy in here yeah, and it doesn't. Absolutely. It'll never go any sort of kind of like. I can't. I can't do anything. I I tried to grow it for like four months for theatrical purposes to actually grow something out of here. But uh, wouldn't do it. But the um, the pushiness of the tash and the uh, oh, yeah, it's a set of like, rasputin, didn't you? Yeah, very, yeah, very, very impressive, very impressive. And my 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 little sort of kind of rat tail was it was nothing to your mighty sort of long lion sort of kind of. Let's go on. I had this little small little sort of nubbin thing going on here, and I was like, ooh, when I was a teenager. But yeah, there you go. I was going to say the um the whole sort of rap. Uh, not rap, the whole sort of poetry music thing does, because there's a lot of poets, and I, I see them on social media quite a lot. Um, and to be honest, there was one guy, a guy called Mark Grist. He's like a he's like an English teacher, mm. and he's got a um, yeah. What are they called? He's got he's got he a did some poetry. He's got of the. He does yeah. challenges, didn't he? Yeah, he rap battle. Uh, they, so they do a lot of. There's a lot, and there's a. To be honest, there's quite a few of them who do. They do they do rap battles, so they go in and they do which is a That's, for all intents yeah, and what it's called. Yeah, they do rap battling. We, we had him, yeah, we had him on one of the um, early um, cabaret nights that we did. Um, it was in um, the park where you folks used to live. What's the name of that? Oh, Casper Park. Yes, in yeah. Casper, in the little tea shop there. Yeah, um, we had him and and the guy that the young guy he was working with, and they were doing this kind of two-handed blizzard, thing. blizzard. I think, his and, name and I think. Yeah. And think we then had him back again, and he just won a a rap battle yeah, yeah, yeah. against contemporary mm. kids, um, you know, and and he he'd actually gone and won it, and it was it was quite something to hear to hear him perform. Yeah, yeah. So where is the line? Yeah, where is the line? Poetry and rap and poetry and lyrics it's 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 a very blurry line yeah i I agree completely um you know they are forms of you know they're all art forms themselves and to be honest like i i really enjoy it one you know as much as you know i i quite like freestanders just the way they can just make things up but just the, the poet the poetic sort of um canter just i really enjoy and it's it's something different and so you've got a lot of these these especially there's a there's a duo there's another two guys who do it as well and they're they're really good it's definitely poetry you can tell the difference between it and the sort of the rap that's coming in but it's it's like a breath of fresh air. It's something different, and it's really, it's really good. And I think that's why probably Mark won because it was. It's definitely mm. you could definitely it is rap because it's you know it, it rhymes, um, but it's it's got this sort of poet poetic sort of counter to it, and it's just you know just amazing. And like, um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, maybe something you guys get into rap battles. There you go. Your next, your next, your next <laughs> scene jump. <laughs> Don't um, do competition. There should be no competition in performing arts. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's one of those problems with um, the poetry circuit, as we found right at the very beginning. Yeah. yeah. Um, they, in order to get the better poetry gigs and the better paid poetry gigs, they expected you to compete for that particular spot with these um, American slams, mm. and uh, and we don't we don't do competition. So again. If you're not going to do the competition, if you're not going to play the game, you can't have the gig. So another reason that we went out on our own and decided, mm-hmm. well, we won't do it that way. Yeah. We'll do it our way. And uh, okay. it took us a lot longer to get 
yeah. recognised for what we did for doing that. But uh, occasionally we'd get the slot in at the slam when they were counting up all the numbers, if you like. Yeah. So in that little sort of ten minute gap between the slam finishing and the results being announced, they mm. shoved the anti poet on. Yeah, yeah. And that yeah. that would that would be our gig. Right. Um, so you know we. Once again, created that position for yourself. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Finding a niche. Finding a niche. Take what you can. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, wait, like, uh, like uh, my van haven't done anything in ages and stuff, but um, I remember sort of, I used to hate doing Battle of the Bands and things like that. And we did, we used to do oh, a lot. Of, and it, it's sort of, it, it, if you're younger, you feel like, you know, you can take on anything and stuff, but it's, it's, it, it was very much down to not to sort of, and I'm not saying we were, we were like quite, we weren't, weren't a bad band, you know, you know, sp- you know especially our, our later stuff was very much, um, you know, very, it, it worked and it was musically sound. Um, we had like our, our lead guitar is absolutely amazing, like just Eddie Van Halen good. And um, it was, we felt that it was more down to um, how many people were there and because yeah. it's normally how many people you can bring with you yeah and it was it was like and i i understand that you know they've 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 got a lot of people but it just tended to be bands who maybe weren't as technically proficient and it's, it's, uh, always, it's always a popularity contest yeah yeah and that is the trouble it's a popularity contest whichever way you look at them yeah yeah uh, and so i yeah. did a sorry um, i did a battle of the bands uh, cracky. I think it must have been the back end of the 80s uh, and it was for um, cable television and I was the presenter for the programme and I had to go on between the bands and try and chivvy up the audience and try and get them to shout for all the bands not just the ones that got their mates in Yeah, yeah. and, and I, I, it was the real turning point for me with competition I'd never particularly liked competitive arts anyway but that was the turning point because You'd got a steel band on the stage with all the with all the pans, brilliant, really good at what they did. Then you'd have an electronic band on that was just synthesizers, again really good. Then you've got a, a country and western band on, and then a punk band. Now they were all perfectly competent. They would have had to have been to get that far into the competition because this was the finals. Mm-hmm. So you couldn't argue that one was technically better than the other. But then how do you judge? so many different things it's not like two runners starting at the beginning of a race and they both train together for years and the one who gets to the end of the field quickest is the winner and you can say well he's the faster it 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 wasn't it wasn't that there was just nothing you could base your decision on other than how many mates they've got Mm. and uh and i just didn't like it so we 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 said all along we would never compete Saying that, we did break that a couple of yeah. weeks ago. What happened? Which I didn't do easily, but it was the only way to get a particular gig that we've been trying to get for the last four or five years. Mm. And uh, they were only going to let us in if we did this competition. And, uh, and, so and we after did we it. did the competition, they were, where were you? How, where have you been? Yeah, How come we don't know? Well, why have you never there? applied before? Yeah, oh, yeah. We, for the last yeah. five years, you just haven't taken any notice. Yeah. So sometimes it is kind of what you have to do. But for, for, for bands starting out who haven't got the you know as many uh, year rings as we have, 
as it were. Um, <laughs> That's a nice way of saying it. Yeah. Those um, have got more hair than we've got. Yeah, yes. that, that one could be, yeah, yeah in the right places. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's pay to play, and that is just evil. Yeah. It's, it's giving people false yeah. hope of success and then making money out of it. Yeah, we had, it, we had one, um, oh, what was it called? It's called Bodog Battle of the Bands and stuff. This would have been easily 20, 2012, 2013, something along those lines. Uh, 20, so in, in and around that, 2010s 20, time. Um, and um, they were an American thing. They had this big sort of like... Um, like TV production, they were doing these these battle of the bands everywhere in the world, and you, you had to sort of you had like regionals and things like that. Um, but one of the big things about it was how many tickets you could sell. Um, yeah, and it wasn't you know so you got you, you got um, one you had like one thing was you had to more people had to register to their website so you had to get as many people so it was like if you could get people registering to their website uh another one was how many tickets you could sell uh and it was just like this seems more like it's about i understand you need to promote your own gigs which is fine but it's sort of it seemed like it was more to do with how much money and people you could get into that and then they sort of preordained mm-hmm. basically who who was going to win at the time. Um, not that we deserved to win because there were, so were actually some really, really good bands, but I was just sort of, I just felt like, you know, selling tickets and having to register emails for people and get, going in and getting people to do this for you and stuff. I remember like spending all night getting friends and getting people to sort of add email addresses and stuff in. And it just seemed like it wasn't really about the music. It was all about sort of the yeah, one, thing. One of the bands, one of the bands that I was with, we um, chartered coaches. Yeah, get, we did to, the same with the get, odds. To yeah. get people into Leicester Square, yeah. where we where we had a gig, mm. uh, and it was all on how many tickets we could sell. So we had to print the tickets ourselves, hire hire the coach to get down there. And I, I remember doing that. And it's a venue that's not there anymore, but it was right on Leicester Square. Um, and I remember doing that, and there was probably about 60, 70 people in this venue, and it was it worked really hard. Finished, we finished quite early, finished about 10 o'clock, and then we're taking all the gear out, and there is a queue of people all the way down Leicester Square, hundreds of people queuing in because it was a DJ set. Oh. And it's just playing... Other people's records. Other people's records. I don't like that. Yeah, no. uh, yeah. And it's it's kind of quite soul destroying when you yeah. when you yeah. uh, when you get like that. You know, each each their own. It's easily consumable. I think that's that's the thing. Yeah, about that kind of thing. it's you know you get a lot of you know pop music is pop music because it's popular. It's it's easy listening. It's fast food sort of music and stuff. I yeah. I yeah. You don't get me wrong. I I like some easy going tunes. I I. I quite like some obscure obscure metal and cla- you know even some classical mm-hmm. stuff like that i and talking you were talking about double bass i went to see a transylvanian double bass player in martin fred's in manchester um he was amazing it was you know, it was just really good it was it was literally Did just, you have fangs? Uh, no, <laughs> but it was just like it, trick it was just like a jazz be, really. and our old, our, our old drummer was in a he's in a sort of uh swing uh band who sort of they're called uh oh, what are they called 
uh, swing commanders. Uh, they sort of do um, obviously swing jazz and blues and things and. It's all about the double bass, and I have this thing about double bass. Yeah. It's really all good. About the bass. It's all about the bass. With with um with us with the double bass, he didn't start playing double bass. He hadn't even got a double. I don't think you'd even seen one, had you? I, I, yeah. He, he didn't know anything about double basses, and he he was just this um, long haired metal type who hung around at the bar in the stabbing pub. Um, with a bass in front of him, um, <laughs> saying to people, oh, "Do you want bass on that, mate? Do you want bass on that?" until people got really annoyed and let him get on the stage with them. And I did. I, did. I let him get up because I thought it would be good. And it sounded really good with just the bass, but you had your low-slung Rickenbacker thing, didn't you? Yeah. I, I did. And it sounded good, but it didn't look right. And that was the thing. If this if this act's going to work as a duo, it's got to have a silhouette. It's got to... And so I made him go and buy one and learn to play it and then come back. How and, different? Uh, and it worked, didn't it? How it was different the best thing double... I ever did to you, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was. I've had more work playing the double bass yeah. than I've ever had, <laughs> ever had playing the electric bass. Well, it's something yeah, different. And you're far better at it as well. How, how, how different is the double bass from the, the regular bass? Uh, well, luckily, the, uh, the way the strings are tuned is exactly the same as the electric bass. Right. So on all the other stringed instruments, violin, viola, cello, yeah. they're tuned in fifths. The guitar and the and the bass guitar and the double bass tune in fourths. Yeah. So you don't have to learn new finger positions. Right. It's heavier though, isn't but it? But the the way you play it is almost completely different. Oh, right. The muscles you use and the and the the physicality of it. He's talking it up now. It's four strings. Four <laughs> strings. <laughs> you can get a five string double bass, you know. One of the... you can no, get... no, don't go in down there. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, so um it's familiar but different. I would, I would say it's cool. But, though. Um, Double bass is cool. Like it's just. It's also, and it yeah, is a much yeah, nicer yeah. sound than, yeah. than, a, yeah. than another yeah. bass. But the thing with using the bass, I think that has been uh, one of the better things that we did was when you're dragging that into a gig, people mm. think, "Oh, that looks good. That's that's yeah. going to be interesting. We'll just stay and have a look at them." Whereas if it was just an, a guitar in a case and and somebody talking, it doesn't look so good. Mm-hmm. So it, there's that side of it as well, and the fact that that getting into a, a venue is never quiet, because mm-hmm. you, you gigs that we do are either upstairs or downstairs. It's either in the attic or the cellar, and you've got to get that bastard thing either up or down, and then back up and down again, isn't it? Occasionally a spiral staircase. Oh uh, yeah, is, yeah, that, that can be interesting. Oh man, yeah. and we we have. We have traipsed five miles across Glastonbury in the thick mud pouring rain <laughs> from one gig to the next gig, dragging a double bass yeah. and his accoutrements and bits and pieces like um, your, 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 sauce, your saucepans yeah, me and, and all sorts of bits and pieces. So, yeah. And, and down, Edinburgh. God, down the Christ. stairs of Edinburgh for the Edinburgh Fringe. And as we all know, Edinburgh is all uphill, I, I'd love, even when it's going down. I, I'd, I'd love to take pity on you, but I, I, I'm a guitarist, and we made our bed and we're lying. Yeah, I, I, uh, I, I'm a guitarist, um, and um, I've had ten, many, many, many years of carrying a heavy ass PV, um, PV head, and then cab, and yeah. then other people's PV heads and cabs up and down the most narrow stairs ever, and it's the most horrible Absolutely. thing. I remember, sort of, we were playing a gig, and the venue we had, where we had stored our equipment, 
uh, the elevator broken and we were obviously on the top floor so we had to carry everything down the oh. stairs these really heavy things and the singers would just literally rock up late all the time so you'd never got their help with anything they would just sort of turn up whereas you had to carry everything around so you carry everything downstairs mm-hmm. we got it in everything had to go into my car because I was the only one with sort of half decent sized car bring it in carry it in then the singers would sort of kind of rock up with their microphone and stuff complain about the sound and blah 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 and then leave before everything was sort of kind of uh, had to be carried in and then everything had to go back to my house because they uh, where we stored the stuff wasn't 24 hour so we had to sort of kind of bring everything back into my garage and stuff I was just like I just remember yeah, like, welcome to the world of bands kids yeah I just but remember did you not work that out early on because I started off as a drummer yeah and then I realised that the drummer has to carry all his kit so I got a drummer in and then I didn't have to turn up too early. <laughs> I do feel... And this is why I became a writer. Yeah, yeah. It's... Uh... <laughs> like, I, I... Like, the drummer, yeah. We had... Uh, we've had some eccentric drummers in our time. And uh, the guy who's in the Swing Commanders, he he really... Like, he's a very, very, very good drummer. And he knows it. But he, um, he would buy the most ridiculously sized kits and things like that and he was like really arsy about them and stuff and you had to sort of like carry them bit by bit so you were just doing double trips and things and then car- having to carry your own amps and things in the pouring rain and then it was just like oh oh my god so that's the one thing about gigging i do not miss it is it's after a really late gig coming back at like two, three in the morning and then having to lug gear yeah. out of your stuff because you're not big Absolutely. enough to get have roadies and stuff. So you're just doing it yourself. Yeah. And, and then counting out the £50 you've been paid for. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if that, if that, you know, you were lucky to get that. <laughs> yeah, we were just lucky to get sort of like paid at all. Like I remember sort of being offered, I, I can't remember, I remember one, yeah. gig, uh, one gig in Wales and... um we turned up, so we used to have a, um, so we, we went through a period of, we, we had like another singer from, another fellow from Northern Ireland, then he left for a bit because he had shit going on. So we had a female singer for a while um, and she got his attention simply because she was a female metal singer. And uh, so it was just like, it was different. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, she got canned off because of uh, musical differences and stuff. So he came back, but the woman who sorted out the gig thought she was still there and when we turned up with not one but two sing- new singers two fellas she's like well, where's where's the female singer <laughs> and then that, mm. fi- that 50 quid we were going to get that night um was suddenly oh uh you know have we not paid you already and it was really hard to get that money off them at the end of the oh. night and stuff it was just like it's like yeah. and, and again i'm not like i was we were very much we liked just playing because we were going to play and stuff but it would have been nice to get some petrol money and stuff because it was like wheels so think it was darker's wheels somewhere and um yeah but she was just being very arsy about paying us and we had to literally go look you did mm. uh, you did say 50 quid and uh you know and she was just like and we got the impression that it was because we didn't have this female singer anymore and that's what she was expecting but it's just like well that's not our fault you know it's just what it is absolutely so pete you have you have you done music at all because you look like a musician no i'm I'm getting the musician vibe but no i i write i write short stories i but i've I once learned uh, to try and play the guitar and very quickly realised I couldn't. It's just yeah, a problem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was one thing. Sorry, I Pete. just can't do the finger work. Okay. It just didn't sit in my, just didn't sit in my brain. So I never could get into it. 
I like writing. I love writing. I like creating music. Not a chance. Let's see if I've got right. some. So do, you, do you write lyrics at all? I did when, when it was in my gringy 16 year old uh, days. And, <laughs> and, we, and then we, we quickly realized they were crap. <laughs> and we, I thought, no, I could stick to what I know, which is writing stories and making shit up. <laughs> it was writing lyrics, which is where I started, um, which got me into. Uh, longer form stuff like short stories and then on to novels after that um but it was it was that love of words and and playing with the words and trying to to say as much as possible in uh, in the fewest words which is what lyrics has to do um that's where it got me started and uh, uh i i'm more than happy to sit all day in a room and just write and do nothing else and then have to be dragged out to do the gig uh, but I can't play any instruments. I was a rubbish drummer. Uh, <laughs> you're all right with the rhythm as long as you're not speaking, which is a bit I, of a problem. Yeah, problem. I can do the rhythm with the hands, but I couldn't do the hands and the feet at the same oh, time. Yeah, yeah. And I can't do oh, the hands yeah. and the voice. And that was me with the guitar, is that I could I could remember the top bits and I could do the bottom bit. I couldn't do that at the same time. And <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's. I think it's part of the, the dyslexic part of me that won't let me do two things at the same time. Oh, I'm I'm exactly the same. Like I, I I'm 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 uh, I'm ADHD, ASD, and dyslexic. So it's like there's certain hand-eye coordination doesn't go well. So playing guitar, yeah. I'm an okay mm-hmm. guitarist, but I will never be an amazing guitarist because you do need sort of like mental dexterity to be able to do things very well. Like I remember my drummer sitting me down, sort of like, "This is how you play drums," and in my mind's like, "Drums are going to be easy," and it's fucking not easy because you're like, you have to do this many <laughs> many hits on this, and then this, and then your foot's doing something completely different, and then the other foot's doing something completely different, and you're just like, I can't even get by my head around one one hand doing one thing let alone sort of he's like no this is a paradiddle and i'm just like okay and then the, and this is this and then this is quintuplets and i'm just like uh what um, we're talking about before about how easy uh writing the lyrics and poetry have you ever been tempted to write songs as well oh i have i've written um crikey hundreds of songs um i've written for several different bands bands i've been in mostly Cool. Uh, over the years, uh, crikey, I, I must have done five, six albums of um, of songs over the years. Um, I'm, I still, I still go out and sing. I, as a singer, I will only do originals. I'll only do my stuff. I, I've never had a desire to go and sing other people's uh, songs. Uh, there, is a, there is an exception. Oh, there have been a couple of exceptions, but nothing There's big. The, the Womble song. I'll do the Wombles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love the Wombles. Yeah. Now, there's a couple of exceptions I've done over the years, but I would, I, I don't like the idea of, of doing covers. I like to do my own stuff. And, uh, and I, I love the writing. I, I love the writing the songs still. I don't write so many because most of what I do these days is either poetry as the anti-poet, <laughs> poetry on my own without Ian, because I do still do some shouty ranty stuff on my own. Oh, and and <laughs> and novels, which is, is what I do most of the time these days. But I did just I did just rejoin a band that I played with in the last gig we'd done was in two thousand and three in uh, Torquay, and we reformed this year on five rehearsals, and went and played uh, a big music festival in Italy. Oh, uh, to a stupid amount of people, and uh, 
so yeah it's still in there i still get the the need to do it occasionally um and that was all that was all original stuff at that festival oh nice so yeah music's still still in there but um and, and actually i it's still a good discipline because sitting down writing a book um and you can you, you've got all day and nobody's telling you what to do and you can keep on going and and filling in all the detail but it's very easy, as you would know, Pete, as a writer then, it's very easy to go off at a tangent and disappear up your own ass. It can be done. Uh, I'm, I'm not suggesting because I've never read your stuff. But <laughs> I know. I know how that works and I know you can do that. But coming at it, having started doing lyrics, you really have to be able to pare that down and get it across succinctly. And that's a really good discipline, I find, for, for writing a book. You know, you write it all out, get it all yeah. down, and then go through it and chop it all down, sculpt it until you've got what you need to say without overdoing it. Yeah. Um, well, and so doing I mean, the I'm, lyrics. I'm reminded of a journalist. And like, one of these, you have a very strict word limit, like 1,500 words to write about something, yeah. which, when you think about it, isn't much. You're just going to get nothing. And if you, if you go over it, no. And I remember one time I was asked by an editor to write about the Investigative Powers Act 2016, otherwise known as the Snoopers Charter. And I said, I, I know you don't like it, so just want own a calm, succinct, reasonable argument. So I wrote 3,000 words and then cut out all the swearing. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then handed it to him. And he said, yeah, that's great, thank you. <laughs> So we've had a fair few writers on the podcast. Uh, what sort of novels, what what sort of, uh, I'm assuming fictions, what sort of type of uh, novels are they? Uh, well, I've done, I've had um, 11 books uh, professionally published up to this point. I've done poetry books. I, I did a book about how to survive the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Um, I've done books on uh, how to perform to an audience without um, losing your bottle, that sort of thing. But for the last, uh, where are we now? Probably about the last four years, I've been doing a, a series of steampunk novels. Oh, wow. Okay. Because once we started doing the steampunk thing, I got very into the whole. Um, uh, ah, very ooh, good. Very nice. Very nice. Very, very into the whole um, background of it. Yes, and, that I uh, and I started reading stuff and thought, oh, you know, this is it. This is what I should be doing. So uh, I've had three books in that series published so far the fourth one comes out on the 7th of november uh with a big waterstones splash um which we play at yeah funny, um, funny enough it's one of those gigs because we? we've done the theme tune to the book and <laughs> so write the live. theme soon sing the theme tune exactly we've done it all. <laughs> what uh, is the yeah. steampunk genre i mean what is it i mean is it science fiction is it fantasy is it something else is it a sub-genre yeah. It's all that, yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Steampunk. I mean, it's it's different things to different people, but to my mind, yeah. it's um, if you're sitting writing science fiction, you, you um, this is a generalisation, but people would be um, talking about something that's um, either now that's that's um, futuristic happening or it's set in the future, whereas steampunk takes you back to the past and imagines things going forward. Yeah, so yeah. it's it's sort of like your H.G. Wells and your Jules Verne stuff that was written way, way back. Um, and they were working out what was going to happen in the future. But this is doing that only knowing what's in the future and being able to mess with it, being able to say, well, we know uh, what happens from this point forward. So if we were to 
to kill off somebody, say, in, in the late 1890s, that we know actually goes on to do something important later on in the next century, what would happen? And then trying to imagine um, where it would have gone. So it's it's sort of alternate history as much as it is science fiction. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. just love that idea of having to sit there and work it all out, um, and try and make it uh, try and make it work in my head so that it will work in somebody else's head. <laughs> so that's, that's it for me. That's how it does it for me. But um, as I say, it's, it's different for different people. Uh, I, I've, there's, I've, there's, uh, there's a lot of dressing up. Steampunk. Yeah. There's a lot of amazing outfits. Yeah. I would I would say if you kind of take Jules Verne look and feel uh, a little bit of Wild Wild West, you know the um, yeah yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. American version. Yeah, Will Smith film. Will Smith film. A lot of that in it. Um, uh, a lot of the Victoriana kind of look and feel to the to the clothes and that sort of thing gives a a, a lot of middle-aged people a good excuse to dress up i'd say yeah but it's also it's punk based it's yeah, it's yeah. very mm -hmm. much based on the make and do the 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 do-it-yourself ideal of not going and buying something uh because somebody else has told you that's the fashion of the week it's about having a look at what's going on and then having your own ideas and actually going and making it yourself and that's the thing I particularly love about steampunk you never see two people looking the same because they've all they've all done it themselves yeah, they're, that they're, and that ties in because I mean we both grew up throughout the era, but you, you mm. weren't a big punk fan, but and I was. Um, so to me, it's a natural progression of the punk movement of the seventies. I don't know if anybody else feels that about it, but to me, that's <laughs> no, what I it's going. So well, I, just, no, I mean, um, have you ever read the Adventures of Rupert Arkwright? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Now that is very steampunk. Brian Talbot. Yeah. Exactly. Who by Brian Talbot. Yeah, and I, that was very steampunk, but that was before steampunk oh, became a thing. And it's yeah, telling that no, yeah. he was a leading to his punk, He's, and still is very much a you know a punk writer. Yeah, not, absolutely. Yeah. That was, and it's all very alternate history again, and it's different realities and stuff, which is what the Luther Arkwright stuff was all about. Yeah, yeah it was wonderful stuff. And the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, Alan Moore and uh, mm -hmm. Kevin O'Neill again. That's that's very steampunk. Granville as well by Brian Talbot. That was very steampunk. Uh, yeah, I haven't read that for a long, long time. Oh, really good. Yeah, Richard there's loads of stuff if you go through it. Yeah. Um, and comics-wise, <laughs> yeah, that was a, a nice little slide in here. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Um, my book series has a, a comic coming out um, mm. before the end of the year as well, and I hope that we can take it as a, a comic series as well mm -hmm. oh, that, was, that was another oh. touch point we have was um, both grew up with 2000 ad yeah oh, right okay yeah. wow yeah. right yeah yeah so uh, yeah a lot of I, again in there you've got a lot of steampunk um stories mm -hmm. that, that that come in that come through 2000 and there's another comic company uh, uh, an independent that started up only uh relatively recently called time bomb comics and they do an anthology um hate to say a bit like 2000 AD because it's not, it's their own, but a lot of the stuff in there is very steampunk uh, comic. And it's different strip. It's completely different. So it's not all just about Victorian people. It's not all just about the empire lasting longer than it did. It could be about anything. And I, I love it. Love it. it was um, Pete we had on the podcast. whose like mother wrote for 2000 AD. 
Oh, yes. Yes, base. Oh, Galena. 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 Yeah, Galena and the other fellow Northern Irish person. And Ian, the antipode seems to have gone quiet on us. Oh, they've gone. Oh, Oh, no. Hello. They're They're back. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. You're back. Hello. No, we we weren't saying anything. Oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> he frozen. So your your picture was <laughs> like Zoom had squished us down into a nothing. Oh, sorry, frozen. Skype. Yeah, frozen. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she she uh, her her mother. I think it was her mother wrote for a uh, lady we had on the podcast. Uh, her mother wrote for two thousand AD. And did we have somebody Back else from two thousand AD on? Who did we have? We had somebody who did the two thousand AD conventions, wasn't it? Uh, oh yeah, that would be Sue Hadrill. That's it, Sue Hadrill. Yeah, yeah, uh, for the Lawless Convention. Yeah, yeah um, you've also worked with schools as well, haven't you? As the anti poet. <laughs> yeah, probably shouldn't have done. <laughs> but we did. Oh wow, this sounds like a good story. Um, <laughs> There's a couple of stories there. <sighs> yeah, yeah, I've upset a few kids. I didn't mean to um, upset the kids. We did this. We did. We did this wonderful piece. And this anti-bullying piece, right? And, and it, was from, it was from Paul's experience, and uh, you know, a very valid, valid piece with a very valid message. And we, oh, thank and, you, sir. And we did, we did this piece, and kind of finished, and uh, and no and, response was it? Yeah, no response. Flat response from the room of twelve-year-olds. Um, <laughs> and Paul starts going, "Surely some of you have experienced. Surely some of you have experienced bullying." Hands up, anybody who's been bullied in this class. And that sort of killed it a bit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Come on, some of you must have done. Tell us, tell us or else. (laughs) We haven't done a school for ages. We did did did, a special measures school. We did did a last resort school. Yeah. Which was was quite something. So this this really was the the last chance saloon for Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Of a danger money thing, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. It was a friend of ours was um, uh, janitor. He was a school caretaker. Caretaker, that's the yeah. yeah. So a friend of ours was a caretaker and got us into this this gig. But we did actually open a library. That was that. It was yeah. I was yeah. about to say that 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 was one of the first things with um, with Bard Aid. Yes. Where we went to this school. It was a special measure school. Um, and we had this thing. If we went and did a school, we would we would do some gigs beforehand um, oh, with our little group of, of um, misfit entertainers. We'd do the gig, uh, and we wouldn't pay anybody because we weren't charging people to get into our gigs. Mm-hmm. So there was no money. But we would do a whip round uh, at the end of the gig, and any money that was in the pot, we would use to buy whoever was our headline that month's books, so that they didn't go away empty-handed. They sold some books. So uh, we would then take their books and we would mix them up with the people from the previous month's gig and so forth. And and any of ours, yeah. And we would put all these in a box and next time we went to play a school, we would present that to the school for their library. Wow, Um, that's a good idea. Because their schools had very limited poetry. Um, it, it It was only ever just what was curriculum. Yeah, so and and we were trying to encourage kids to write by giving them things that were not curriculum and things that had the wrong words in and things that they might pick up and think, oh, I shouldn't be reading this, but it would inspire them. That was the point. So we went to do this special measure school and we'd taken our box of books there 
and we'd said oh, we'd like to present this to the school oh we haven't got a library wow what well, school without a library no no we haven't got a library well let's build one and so we got the gig because actually we got the gig because we used to rehearse in their music room yeah. when the place was shut. I don't think the school knew that. So don't tell anybody. <laughs> but we you do realise the, the entire how the podcast works. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, think you under, I think you overestimate how many people this is going out to, Pete. <laughs> no, I don't. Well, we haven't said which school it is. So they might not know. Anyway, we, we went and played uh, sort of as a thank you for letting us rehearse there, even though they didn't know. So and we took the books. And so the school caretaker, who was a friend of ours, um, he said, well, I've got a cupboard that the brooms go in. If I take the brooms out and we put some shelves in it, we can get all your books in. And there's the start of a library. Um, And that's how their library started. We went back again with some more some years later. And I went back there uh, some years later. I mean, we're talking this was about 2009. And I went back there some years later with a car full of books. Uh, oh, wow. And they've now got a dedicated room for a library mm-hmm. and we helped them to just uh, stock it out completely. Uh, and that was the first library we built uh, as Bardo. The first library you built? Wow. Yeah. The first, yeah. How many libraries have you built? Um, we, well, I bought, a, I bought a telephone box, one of these, only a real one, uh, in situ on the side of the road. Okay. Uh, just outside of Tring, Hertfordshire. And we went and stripped it out of all its workings and filled it. Well, we put a bookcase in there, repainted it, made it look lovely and stocked it full of books, Um, secondhand books. But uh, we we have a shelf in the middle, uh, eye level, which is books that have been donated to us by publishers, many of which are signed copies and lots of stuff that we've bought or been given from uh, poets that either um, produce their own books, they're self-published, or they are such a small niche run that they're not really going to end up in Waterstones. And we stuff them in there at eye level for for people to enjoy. Uh, So we bought that one. We then took over another one for a council in uh, near Watford who had had a book exchange in their telephone box for years, but um, it was getting a bit tired and old. And so we took it on and did it up to match our other one. Yeah. Uh, and then... Couldn't get the door open and things. Yeah, like yeah. I've, that needs a bit of another repair because uh, the bottom of the door's come off oh. and I've screwed it back on. So, it, yeah. yeah. Um, and then, <laughs> then bought a third one. Um, no, the third one is owned by a pub near me, just over the road from where I live. Uh, and it's sitting on the forecourt and it was used to, to throw your bottles and your crisp packets in. And so we cleaned that up, repainted it, filled that with books. So we've got three of these on the go. Wow, that's that really nice. That's like cool. That's really good. We run. And then uh, then we built another library in an old dairy on a farm um, out near Quainton, um, which uh, is, again, it's, just, it's another special measures school. Uh, and, it's built, and it's on a farm. Uh, and they stripped out the dairy and we shelved it all. We got some volunteers together to come in and paint it and put all the shelves up. And uh, and with that one, because it was a, a school library and it was a specific school library, I went round to lots of different publishers to get um, the right sort of books. I wanted to build up a, a proper uh, proper reference library. But I also went to the lovely people at Rebellion who, who published oh. 2000 AD. And said, uh, what you got for a school library? 
and they gave me a whole car full of um, um, graphic novels. Oh, which is lovely that I read first. <laughs> Just to make sure they were. Uh... <laughs> Had to check them, you know. Yeah, proofreading. In there. So yeah, we've got. Um, we handed over the original library that we built in that first school to the school. They run that now. It's nothing to do with us, but we started it for them. Uh, and then we've then got another four libraries now that we run as Bard Aid. And it's it's non-profit making. Uh, we don't have any budget. We usually just do a whip round before we take on a box and make enough money for a tin of paint and an Argos uh, shelf unit. And uh, and they're yeah. self-sustaining. They the were, Great Miss of Modern Day was quite entertaining, wasn't it? The Great... The Great Miss of Modern Day. Isn't it Miss Where's that? Well, that was the first one. Oh, no, uh, Long Marston. Long Marston. Long Marston Tring, yeah. Yeah, we always do a, a launch for them. Yeah, the... yeah, dramas and everything. We had... <laughs> yeah, bring the alpacas out. And we had a couple of famous <laughs> authors down for that one yeah. as well. Yeah, so we've had a lot of fun doing that. And that's that's something that keeps us busy in the meantime. Mm. I, I really do like those kind of uh, telephone box libraries yeah. because, I mean... The redundant now because pretty much everyone's got a, a mobile phone, a smartphone that you know. Yeah. But so, but they're still there, and so otherwise they're going to get vandalised or whatever. So turn them into a little kind of book lending library. It's just perfect. Mm. We've got one in the in the next village over, and yeah, it's just great. It's just a wonderful piece. It's just a very, you know, very punk. It's very yeah, punk. I, I think so, yeah. I love that sort we, of. Yeah, when we. Sorry, carry on. When we went to the first one that we bought to do it up, it had been sat on the side of the road, just back off of the, the road for since the 30s. And it had been defunct for quite some time. And it had ivy growing up inside it and a tree growing over the top. Oh, wow. And a lot of people had not even noticed it was still there. And we, we turned up one, one morning mm. and we started stripping the trees back and pulling the ivy out and painting it. And there's a, a, an infant school a few yards along the road from where it is. And we were there trying to put this, uh, two poets trying to put an Argos bookcase together on a grass verge. <laughs> and, uh, in, the, in the rain. In the rain at eight o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and there were parents taking their kids to the school. And uh, I was expecting these young kids to be saying, Mummy, what is that? And they were exactly that. Mummy, what is that? Has that always been there? And I was thinking, oh, now the parents are going to explain to them what a telephone box was and how useful it was. And the parents were saying, no idea. I don't know if it's been there for long. And, mm. and we were quite shocked that the parents didn't know. And then when we looked at the parents' age, of course, we're ancient. The parents <laughs> were young enough to be our grandchildren anyway. Mm -hmm. And for like, mm. you know, the telephone boxes were gone before you lot um, mm. came along. So there's no reason for you to know what it was. And, and I was completely, completely blown by this. So I went away and wrote a book about it, which comes out later this year. <laughs> well, it's a generational uh, thing. I mean, um, early today, my youngest, um, who's only seven, found a cassette tape. Ah. He had no idea what this was. No. And we had to explain what So I can explain what a, what, a, what a cassette tape is. And he goes, how do you play putting cassette play? Do we have one? No. <laughs> Uh, Aren't they yeah. supposed to be trying to do a revival yeah. of cassette tapes? Yeah, like yeah. They did with vinyl, with which vinyl. I think is completely pointless because the quality of them was always rubbish. Yeah. So and you know, and you can't get them in the CD player in the car. You either, can't. Can you? And at least One it gave day. you something for your big borrow to do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but no, it's it was a weird thing. Like obviously, he'd mm. never seen one before, and 
we've had the same conversation with my with the kids about I say vinyls, I go, what's this? Well, it's kind of a big CD, but double-sided. Yeah. And you can only pick yeah. eight songs in it if you're lucky. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah, but that is it. You know, the generations move on and and things get forgotten. And it's it's sad when things are forgotten. And especially these things, they were such wonderful things. I, I absolutely hate it when I see the lorry pull up along alongside one and then take it away to mm. be... Uh, chucked into a, a reclamation yard because they're just they're just something that we grew up they were always there they were something mm. safe it was, they it were was, something yeah. familiar and it's uh, almost a part of history <clears> as well they've got a, a wonderful yeah. history yeah. yeah i can i can sit there and, and give it to you <laughs> if you like <laughs> where, my, where my other half lives in in uh, southeast london is the building that gave the inspiration uh, yeah, to, yeah. The, to the shape of the top of them which is um dulwich um gallery Oh, in, right. in South South London, there's there's a bit of architecture in this particular building on the outside where you've got the, the this kind of curved shape at the top. There's four of them. The and was it a Gilbert Scott? Did he did he do that before he did the phone box, or did he just nick I it? I don't know the answer oh, to that. But there, we'll have to look into there's that. There's something you can Google, yeah. people. No, I'll go look Absolutely. that one up. Yeah. <laughs> Emerald will be able to tell you. Oh, yeah. Questions yeah. Uh, answer them like hard too. Yeah. <laughs> You won't yeah, be anything it would in, show up in an anti-poet piece at some point. It probably will, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, what, you mentioned going to a sci-fi convention and doing your uh, doing the anti-poet. How did you change the lyrics and the performance for the audience? Because I assume you, you did that. No, um, no, we did. We did the same performance. We still play the same act. We just um, we just changed the set a bit. We've we've got okay. some pieces that are sci-fi orientated because I'm a sci-fi fan. Mm. You are. Yeah, to a reasonable degree as well. Well, you had your little yeah. sort of yeah, so, you, you had your little gaffer tape. You, you, you can say it because you said this before we came on uh, on air. What what what? How do you define gaffer tape? Ah, oh, gaffer, <laughs> gaffer tape is like the force. It has a dark side and a light side, and it holds the universe together. <laughs> Boom! I love it. Love it. So good. Yeah, we so we we just um, looked at the set and thought, well. Uh, we will always do these pieces because these are the pieces that work with most audiences of that particular age group. But that's a bit sci-fi orientated. Let's stick that one in there. We probably wouldn't do that in a comedy venue or a late night cabaret. And steampunk, actually, we wrote new stuff. We actually wrote stuff in the same vein as we do, but um, specifically for that kind of audience. Uh, it just it just seemed to work. And uh, we when we go and do the steampunk gigs, that is a completely different set. We, we will bring in some of the older stuff as well, but uh, it, it's nice because, again, it's, it gives you a reason to write new stuff. Yeah. Uh, I love doing the sci-fi stuff because it gets me into a convention without pain. <laughs> <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's the one. That's the only sort of kind of bonus of doing a website. Is this is getting free, not have, have, getting free entry into into conventions. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if that's based out the occasional the hippie first time we met was at Sci-Fi Weekend. Yeah. yeah, last year. Yeah, and yeah, you're. I think you were performing as well in March this year as well. Yeah, um, yeah. I had a, I had my book. I was signing books in the main hall yes. in the day, and then in the evening, Ian came and we did, um, we did a, a, an anti poet performance for a complete sci fi crowd, and it, yeah. it worked really well, didn't it? Yeah. Oh, right. nice. We, we upset uh, George, but that was all right. We, yeah. we covered that well. How did you upset George? I want to hear this. 
this is a thing with with our stuff and, and i think this is true of a lot of comedy we've been doing this for say nearly 15 years we've been doing this act and over that time sensibilities have changed in the world and so there's mm -hmm. stuff on our first album that we wouldn't dream of doing now it was funny then we thought so, and the audience thought so. But today, you look at it and think, "Well, oh, that's no." That yeah. I'm not going to have somebody else tell me I can't do something. We're our own critics, and we know when something no longer is PC. And occasionally, it just means a little change of a line here or there to to level something out. Sometimes it means throwing that one away completely, <clears throat> retiring it. Fair enough. That's um, that's mainly my job during the writing process. Actually, is to edit. <laughs> Censor. <laughs> um, but there was there was a we, we met a we met this great character at the sci-fi thing uh who's an actor called George. And uh and George is um of diminutive stature. He's a short man. And uh and there was this great, really funny line in one of our pieces about midget fights. Brilliant line. Um and I know we were supposed to change that. And so we'd taken that piece out of the set temporarily whilst I thought up of a, a better, uh, perhaps less offensive line. And uh, I don't know what it was. Something in my head said, do that one tonight. And I'd forgotten to change the line. And it was I could see it coming three or four <laughs> lines before. And I thought, oh, shit. Oh, no. Right in the front row is George. And he's a he, he's a what did you call him? Diminutive. Stage. Yes. Um, and I've got to come up with something quick here. I've got to be one of these these rappers that can work stuff out on the fly. And I'm not that good at doing that. No, Paul, Paul always reads. He, part of, I don't know. <coughs> we're, we're, we're both dyslexic in, in different ways. Um, one of Paul's is he can write till the cows come home. Can't remember. Shit. And so it has to read. I know, I know exactly read, where you're coming from. Read all the pieces. And there um, it was, and there it was, and that that particular line was getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and I thought it will come, it will come. I know it will come by the time we get there, and I just got midget fights. Ah, oh, no, 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 I shouldn't have said that. Now, luckily, um, luckily he took it particularly yeah. well yeah. because yeah. I think he just loved the attention. To be fair, he does love the attention. He liked the attention. He's an actor, you know. Yeah. He's an actor. He spent all day sitting there signing um, photographs and selling them to people for twenty five quid. He's an actor. He likes the attention. And I think we got away with it, didn't we? Yeah, just yeah. About... We yeah, changed yeah, I... the line now, but that's yeah. that's something that happens with comedy. Yeah, it's very subjective. I mean, I mean, George is a lovely chap. I interviewed him on stage at Sci-Fi Weekend, uh, and he broke me twice. Ah. <laughs> I did it once. We turned around and it's like just cracked up laughing because he's also, it turns out, a professional comedian. Yeah. What's his what's his second name? George Coppen. Oh, okay. Right. And we're chatting, we're like, no, no, I'm professional. This is what I do. So I kept going. Yeah. And about 10 minutes later, we're talking about Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. And he just gave me this look. And you can see, you can see it was breaking up a bit. And he gave me this look and went, hi, ho. <laughs> and at that point, I just lost it completely. The glorious <laughs> bastard. <laughs> Love him to bits. <laughs> oh, it was, in the, it was in the New Willow, the New Willow series. New Willow, and he's also been in The Witcher as well. Yeah. And uh, yes. I, think, I think we've you were in the same scene in The I Witcher. I think we've been in the same scene, um, but we haven't quite. You were in The Witcher? Space on. Yeah. Wow, wow. what a claim yeah. to fame. Wow, what, what were you in The Witcher? You have to pause it. 
You have to you have to pause it and then and if then you see a blurry yeah. man in the background. Yeah. It's generally him. <laughs> yeah, this kind of you know, I do a good peasant. All right, my um, because obviously Game of Thrones was filmed and a lot of it was filmed in Northern Ireland. Mm. I think I I know about a million people who have had sort of mm. like uh, who have had roles. My sister uh, was in the second series uh, in Winterfell with some of her friends, and she's a she's a chicken feeder. So if you there's a bit where they're walking through Winterfell, and my sister's sitting in the background oh, feed, okay. feeding chickens and stuff. But there's a guy, um, one of my mates. Um, he's the second a he was the second AD. Um, for it um, over there, and he and one of my other mates. He, um, if you basically, he said, if there's ever a guy with a beard on a horse, it's probably me. It's <laughs> just like that's <laughs> like. So is that you? Yeah, yeah that's, that's yeah, is yeah. that you? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Your most famous piece, obviously, is the he's the the Haribo guy from mm. the advert from oh. the advert with the uh, with the rock band coming off stage and going backstage and, and eating Haribo sweets, aren't you? Yeah. That's what everybody knows him for. <gasps> yeah. And uh, very often at anti-poet gigs, so, people sit there chucking packets of Haribo at his head. They certainly do. Well, yeah. Yeah, if you look up Haribo rock band... Rock band. You'll see... Uh, it's not encouraged by anybody in particular at all, that. No. No, I'm sure <laughs> it isn't. <laughs> oh, uh, oh, do you like Haribo? Right, I'm sort of right. Sorry? So we got the guy with the Did mask. Oh, there you are <laughs> with your handlebar mustache. Uh, you <laughs> <laughs> uh, didn't have quite the beard. Oh, one minute, uh, one minute. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to I screen had share. Hair extensions in the in the tash. I'm gonna have to screen share this. Perfect. One minute. Right. Uh, let me stick <laughs> this on. Scott. If you if you if you pause it if you pause it carefully, you will notice there is one frame where the anti-poet tattoo. <laughs> oh, right. he's visible on the street. Right. <laughs> and that was very carefully done. Uh, I'll not put the audio on because I don't want to get sort of uh, turking off. So we've got a guy who looks like Goldie from... Uh, uh, right, so let's, there you are. You are with your handlebar moustache and a big beardy chap there as well. <laughs> and then... Uh, <laughs> do you know what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's some very expressive <laughs> acting going on here. Uh, you, you've thrown yourself onto the sofa. <laughs> All right, there it is. There's the tattoo. Yeah, there's the tattoo. <laughs> Oh, amazing. Oh, <laughs> quality. That's so good. Yeah. And I've seen the advert as well. There you go. <laughs> there you go. The, the best time I watched that advert was while I was setting up for a for a rock band gig and a Saturday night pub gig. And I was setting my gear up, putting my amp up, putting my, putting my bass on the thing. And there I was on the screen at the back doing the Haribo ad. <laughs> yes. It's, it's, it's similar, it but not. Yeah, it's yeah, similar, but... Long. It's similar, but not similar. But my uh, there's a there was a band we used to gig with quite a lot. Uh, they were really dead on fellas. And one of the one of the the guitarists, his uh, missus used to work for Babe Station, and um, <laughs> we were playing a gig, and he had like she was on the background, and he's like, "There's my missus." <laughs> it's like it's like what's going on? <laughs> it's just like it was just like he's playing. Similar and, enough, actually. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah, been, so... You've never done that, one, have you? I haven't done Babe Station. No, no, you should. You should totally do it. Yeah, call me on that. Yeah, the night is young, mate. <laughs> wow, that's that's bad. There the you go. The, witch, the Witcher and Haribo. The Witcher and Haribo. My God, there you go. Yeah, yeah, and and, and a little bit of um, Doctor Strange as well. Oh, okay, right. Oh, Doctor Strange season two. There's a, there was a kind tiny little clip. 
it was a little blurry, wasn't it? It was a little blurry, yeah, next to um, old Benedict Cumberbunch um, in one of the scenes on top of uh, on top of the temple. Oh, okay. right, okay. Right, well, okay. Two of them I was alive and one of them I was dead. <laughs> was it like in the Multiverse of Madness with Sam? It was the second one, yeah. Yeah, so, okay. I want to watch that again. Yeah, look, yeah, yeah, you, yeah, you really do have to pause it and then zoom in. Do you get a credit long. or do you, are you just nameless? Oh, God, no. Are you no, nameless, man? Purely, purely, purely an SA, so <laughs> purely support artist, so we don't get any credits. You know, every, Even the person that makes the tea in the animation room will get a credit, but supporting <laughs> artists don't. <laughs> they don't. They don't want us getting ideas above our station, that's the thing. Well, so, there, there's a lot, of the, the, there's a whole lot of that, the whole, this, this, the, um, the Actors Guild and the SAG, it's different, obviously, in the UK, because it's different sort of um, things, but there's... Uh, right. Right. It's it's kind of it has hit the SA um, world over here quite hard. It's oh. taken half of the work away. Yeah, um, because a lot of the productions over here are American. All oh, right. Okay. Yeah. The well, they're saying like you know there was a big thing where they're using AI a lot um, to, and they're they're saying that basically they just get one person scan their face and then just use it in perpetuity for the rest of for the rest well, of time. Can I do how they? You, yeah, could I do that? You and can't then... get him to play the bass. So AI is crap at playing the bass. Could I just could get a hologram there? Yeah, yeah. there you go. <laughs> no, well, here. Could you not just do that? You 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 could do just in turn thing, just yeah. you know you could just get ChatGPT to replace him. So you know you know it's it, both yeah, ways. Yeah. You know you could both yeah. basically it's mutual asserted it's, it's, it's mutual asserted destruction. So come up with stuff that's more relevant as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just saying, oh. if one of you starts thinking about sort of backstabbing the other one, you know. Uh, saying that AI replicating things, <laughs> I mean, they can't do that. They, they scan you on these things anyway. If you've ever seen um, Rocket Man, the the uh, the Elton John thing, yeah, there's a there's a, a big concert he's playing, and, the, and there's a lookout over a crowd, and it's a night scene, and there's thousands and thousands of people in the crowd. And it was back in the day when you used to hold a lighter up, and you can see these lighters being held up in the crowd, and there's hundreds of people. Every single one of those is me. <laughs> the only person on that shoot holding the lighter up. Wow! <laughs> the oh, I was I was at a genitive um, a genitive AI uh, conference last week in London, and all I will say is, have you ever did you ever watch Terminator: The Sarah Connor Chronicles? No, no, I haven't yet. Okay, back in about ten years ago, um, starring. Lynn Hedy and um, Summer Glau, and basically, like Terminator set in the modern day, and they're kind of in this kind of tech fair where all the kind of AI computers being built up. It was just like that. I was kind of sitting there the entire time, and the bite my tongue from shout out Skynet. <laughs> it is kind of scary. <clears throat> it is scary if you think you know where we were. You know, a few, even a few years ago, where we are now and what can be done. It's got to the point. Like my work is like very heavily investing in sort of AI and stuff. Um, you know, it, it's basically you have to go in that direction for a lot of ways, or you're going to get left behind. But um, mm. yeah, it's it's scary. I think more for the artistic side of things because there's a lot of people who are getting. Um, slightly annoyed i think george rr R. martin sort of had a big thing where they steal because it has to learn from somewhere and it learns from mm. taking other people's work so it's it's effectively plagiarizing and stuff because you will get parts and they made a point it was some artwork i think it was uh mid oh no what's it called 
what's the art one? Not Midwinter. Um, Midjourney. Midjourney, yeah. Uh, Midjourney, Midwinter's a, a miniature painter. But anyway, um, Midjourney, and they basically got all these um, art pieces, but you could tell that some of them had still got the uh, watermarks on them from where they'd got the actual mm-hmm. pieces, and they'd just sort of been kind of yeah. blurred out and stuff. Um, so yeah, there's... It's it's scary times. It's exciting because I I'm very I like the the whole idea of sort of advancement of the human race and AI and tech and things like that. But it's scary in that it is you know what it can do now. It's just pretty pretty. Yeah, I'm is going to raise the art art element, the artistic community, on the grounds that it's only ever um, the art from AI is only ever generated from what was what has been. It's very backwards looking, it's retrospective. Anything we create as humans is something, because we create it from refresh with new ideas, mm. that's going to be new. And that's something that AI, at the moment, cannot do. Mm. Um, mm. Like, for example, you'll, nev- you'll rarely have AI journalists because news, by its very def- definition, is new. Again, you report mm. about something that is happening. Unless you're doing a retrospective like 20, 25 years later of Battlestar Galactica, you're not going to really need AI journalists because it's the information that it's will be generated from is not out there yet. Yeah, it doesn't have the feeling for it as well because, like, I... The emotionality. I, uh, yeah, there isn't... Because I use it um, to help write. For, like, we do a D- D&D campaign on Thursday nights and I use it as a sort of basis for... I, I'll I'll fire fire in some ideas and it'll come out with something, but you could never just use it verbatim because it's very sort of kind of matter of fact and there's zero sort of, yeah, yeah and it's very very bland. So you have to sort of kind of extrapolate and sort of use it. So it's a good for a foundation, but it, you you can't use it for any creative. I don't think you could use it for creative writing because I don't think it has that emotionality or um it doesn't have that nuance. The texture. Yeah, yeah, the texture, the texture. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, uh, so, so as a question, a question, question for you, um, as a current D and D player, what did you think of the recent movie? Um, it, some of that was filmed in. Where um, the, there's a place called Carrick Fergus Castle, where down the road from where I was from, uh, it was filmed. Some of it's filmed there. The main castle at the end, that's where that's filmed. But um, I, I actually quite liked Hello, it. Man. I, I, I quite liked that. Uh, it was, uh, it was enjoyable. Uh, it was, a, it was a million times better than the the old D and D movie that came out in sort of I can't even remember what year it came out, but it, that was atrocious. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I thought it was really good. I liked the little nod to uh, the uh, the D and D cartoon, um, the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I I I, I enjoyed it. I, I'd see mm-hmm. it again, uh, and it had a lot of sort of, it had a lot of nods to actual you know, the game itself, you know, even down to sort of kind of field roles and things being slightly absurd and just stuff like that. And so, yeah. I want them to do a sequel using the exact same cast but playing completely different characters. <laughs> that would be interesting. That would be, because that would like, be it's just like completely set back. Sure. Yeah, they're playing all new characters now. Yeah. I just got to the, <laughs> I, the bit I, I most love that was 
how fed up they were at the paladin. Oh, yes, the paladin. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Anyway, sorry, you have no idea what No, no, no idea what yeah. Yeah, the paladin, he was amazing. It was just so, like, so righteous and just, like, you know, floating on water and he just, you know, that it was quality. Paladins are always a problem. Like, we've had two paladins in our party and both of them have uh, have, have rocked the boats, you know, in their in, in different ways and stuff like that. But, uh, it's yeah, it's always good to have something like that. There's a, there's an interesting <laughs> bit the part where he i can't remember the name of the actor um i'm really bad with names but the bit where he's walking off and he sort of kind of just walks mm. over the stone that's not actually script yeah, that yeah, wasn't yeah. actually scripted apparently they just told him to keep on walking and they'll let him know when to stop and because they thought oh, it was really funny. funny they just let him carry on and he just sort of kind of went over the stone and, and went on and stuff and uh yeah that was uh, do you yeah, pl- that's, that's more, one of my favourite bits of it. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. so good. Yeah, I just... We're talking Dungeons and Dragons, aren't we? We are talking Dungeons yeah. and Dragons movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The movie. I'm, I'm, it's got American people in it. The, uh, the, uh, only, the only thing I know about the Dungeons and Dragons, we used to do a gig in St Albans. Remember that oh, one God, at the Goat? Yeah. Uh, we on. used to do a, a, a shouty, sweary poetry night uh, <laughs> on one end of the pub. And at the other end of the pub, within, within our sight line, were, was the local Dungeons and Dragons club. They were playing a card version of it. And we did it on the same night. And they used to get annoyed that we were getting too loud, so they would try and get louder with their games. And it all got very childish, didn't it? But they did make it into one of our poems. Everything that we've experienced has been a fantastic source of material. (laughs) That's that's what it is. That's the whole creative process. Like You see something and it just inspires you. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, another part of that, um, during the the whole lockdown... uh, Slightly before lockdown, we realised that it was time we were going to have to put a new collection together for the next year's show. Mm. Uh, and we'll I'll sit and write a whole new set. And I'd only done, I think, two. Uh, and you hadn't even seen those mm. at that point to put, put your parts to it um, when we got locked down. And I thought, well, this is great because I haven't got to do anything else. I can just sit here and, and do these. I'll, I'll knock out two albums in the space of one here. This would be great. And I couldn't do it because I needed the audience in front of me yeah. to make it work. Mm. And the stuff comes from watching the audience and listening to their comments um, and thinking, what else could I say to these people that's going to make them think or laugh? And so mm. I didn't write anything through the whole of that lockdown on that front. Mm. I was doing books instead. But when we finally got out, we did the next gig. Bang, 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 bang. It all comes out. Uh, but it had it was being inspired by the people that come to see us and the stuff around you. When when you take all the stuff around your way, there's nothing to write about. It's, yeah. It's, um, yeah. But this, I, I, the stuff yeah. that we do is definitely not page poetry. Um, it's it's so much of it is tied up in the performance. Um, in in the way we we've done eight albums now. We we try to do a faithful reproduction of our live set, which is the two of us, maybe a triangle and a bit of kazoo in there occasionally, double bass, a bit of quipping back and forth, some BVs and what have you, but nothing else. And we did that on our second album, and we listened back to it and thought, that's really dull. It just doesn't do justice yeah. to what it's like when you're in the live environment and when you've got the people there. So from that point on, we actually add a lot more to our albums, to the 
listening experience of our albums is I wouldn't say completely different, but it's a very different experience than seeing us live. It's sounds got very drums situational. Yeah. Sorry? Sounds very situational, as in you have to be there almost to experience it fully, like the full like five really, senses. Really? Yeah, to, yeah. To to get the to get the nuances of, yeah. of what we're doing, uh, there's a lot of it is expressions and kind of, you know, winks, nods to the audience, that sort of thing. Um, but the, yeah. I think the main difference between the recorded CD stuff and the live performance is that if you want to know what I'm talking about, listen to the CD because I won't get it right when we do it live. <laughs> <laughs> so it's unlikely that it's going to follow. If you the... not want to know what it's supposed to be, <laughs> yeah. listen, to the, be listen to the CD. Yeah. If you want to know what it's about, come and see us live because yeah. you'll get the patter beforehand and the explanations yeah. and the and the experience shared. Um, <clears throat> we can get a lot. We can we can get away a lot. Get away with doing a lot more when we're in a live environment because we can put things in context. Mm. Yeah, it's different um, energy. Sometimes different energy. about yeah, completely yeah. different energy. Yeah, mm. yeah. Which is not to say <clears throat> that the albums aren't good because I think they've. No, the, I the think al- we've done a very good job of them because um, if there's a if there's a a third member of the group. Um, mm group the third member of, <coughs> of this duo yeah, yeah. then it's uh, it's our, our drummer and producer who puts all our albums together and puts all the sound effects and the other instruments on and builds it up and makes it something worth buying yeah. um what yeah we doing with AI, actually? Oh, we couldn't mm-hmm. do that with ai <laughs> no. <laughs> no he's he's absolutely amazing he yeah. he those plugins like the back of your hand and and can just say okay i'm going to have a jingly jangly piano in this bit and and after after one of the albums said mate can you you play that he said, no 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 i've just got the computer to do it got the robot to do it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and he does that with everything from a from a full wurlitzer organ to uh a, a banjo banjo oh, wow. to, to anything he um, does occasionally get somebody in but yes, not yeah, usually yeah. he does it all himself yeah. What he can't play, he does it on the machine. One, on one of the last ones, one of the last uh, tracks on the last album, there's a little piece which is a nod to Dixon of Doc Green, and the uh, the theme tune for that, which right. probably go whoosh, over yeah. most people's head. Back in the black, when when the world was black and white. So it's played on a harmonica. Neither of us can play harmonica. So I on on the album there is a bit which faithfully does that riff on the harmonica and it's played on a line six guitar wow. by me using a, a harmonica uh, sound emulator. Wow, wow, wow. Absolutely wow. incredible. And then live it's played on a double bass. And live it's played on double bass. Oh yeah, wow, absolutely. And it works. <laughs> it does work. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's all good. Oh wow. Right. Well, wow. um, have you? Well, before we go. Um, do you have anything coming out at the minute? Have you got any gigs coming up? Have you got anything you want to sort of kind of pimp out? We're, as far as the amplitude is concerned, we're kind of in the writing phase at the moment. Aren't yeah, we? we're just about to start putting <clears throat> album number nine together and we're doing oh, wow. a, um, a vinyl for the, for the yeah. steampunk market. Um, which yeah. uh, is on a 10-inch vinyl, but it will look like a 78. So it looks really yeah. impressive. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's 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 a matter we're writing and, about, well, not far off recording that stuff. Mm-hmm. But all of our 
back catalogue can be, or nearly all of the back catalogue, apart from the first one, which is a bit dodge, um, can be, <laughs> you have to come and see us in those first album pieces. Um, but uh, yeah, that's available on Bandcamp, which is the place where everybody should be selling their original music because you get most of the money from it. So yeah, yeah nice. if you uh, if you go onto Bandcamp, um, spell it as it sounds, Bandcamp.com, look up the Anti Poet. You can get everything. You can order CDs. You can get digital downloads, single tracks, multi tracks, albums, the whole whole shebang. What we got gig wise coming up though? I don't think not much actually, mate. Um, oh, pop of the book launch. Oh, the book launch is probably the next thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah we're we're um, the the fourth book in my steampunk series. Uh, the Periwinkle Perspective. All right. Oh, yes. This is this is the audio version. Oh, nice. Wow, CDs. Wow, nice. Read by Dav Ross. Oh. Read by Terry Malloy. Um, Yeah, uh, the fourth book in this series comes out on the 7th of November, uh, and we're doing a big old launch at Waterstones in Milton Keynes, uh, 7 o'clock. It's a Tuesday night. Anybody who wants to come to that, um, look up uh, Waterstones Eventbrite for free tickets. Mm-hmm. And we will be gigging there because we always do, don't we? Yeah, nice. and that'd be that'd be good. Um, there will be other gigs. Um, keep an eye on our. Do we have a website anymore? We do have a website. We yeah. still have a website. Keep yeah. an eye on our yeah, website. Loads, <laughs> loads of our performance videos and stuff on on our website, theantipoet.co.uk. Because we've, I mean, we've done. I think we've done all of the big festivals that we're doing this year. But there will be other gigs that that crop up. We'll, we'll take anything, really. We've got, a, we've got a Donna Ray on Facebook says the anti-poet are on. Donna, that's our manager. Yeah, yeah. you're your manager. Yeah, always knows Donna. Yeah, are on Donna, a scri- Donna knows what we're doing. Uh, uh, on a scribble, we do. scribble gathering on the 12th of December and 7th of November. Oh, scribble, yeah. Uh, scribble gathering. Scribble, yeah, that's it, uh, yeah. Sorry. No, it's us. It's in, yeah. So scribble gathering on the 12th of December. And Waterstones on that's the near Milton Keynes. That's I'll, I'll Stanley that Stratford. Yeah, write that in your diary, mate. Yeah. That's a headline. Twelfth <laughs> um, <laughs> of December, seventh of November, Waterstones, <laughs> Milton Keynes <laughs> for Paul's yeah. book. Yeah, yeah, but ask Donna. She's the best person to ask for. Oh, where is she? Thanks, Donna. She, she, she's she's upstairs. Up, she's in in uh, internet land. Somewhere. She's upstairs listening to this or watching this, and <laughs> when this is finished. Yeah, she so says, she says useless, yeah. both of you, exclamation mark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're going to get telling off for some of the Probably. things we've said, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it works. We apologise for nothing. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for having us. No, yeah. thank you very My much. Pleasure. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, by all means, if you've got anything else coming up um, or you just want to have a chat about something, but by all means, come back on. If you've got any more TV cameos and or film cameos there, Ian, then let us know. Ah, cats oh, as well. Oh, We're all about cats, cats as well. Sorry. There you go. We like cats. There's a cat star. I've had them run out every now and again because my dog always picks the worst times to want to go in and out of the house. Um, but yes, yeah, so it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure, chaps. Um, it's been really interesting. Uh, good luck with everything. Good luck with your gigs um, and uh, the poetry. Um, um, and um, the writing and everything that you do. You've got uh, many, many, many uh, feathers to the proverbial um, cap. So, uh, yeah, it's, yes. been, qual- it's been quality. Uh, so for tonight, I've been Matt Geary. With me has been Peter Ray Allison. 
Good night, everyone. And our special <laughs> guests, Ian and Paul. And the oh, yeah. the cats from the anti-poets. <laughs> night, everybody. <laughs> Bye. 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 Bye.